morning. My name's Kevin. I have the privilege of serving as the pastor here. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 8 this morning. Our church has been going through Matthew's gospel. And one of the themes that uh, we see repeatedly that Matthew brings up, and particularly in this section, is the authority of Jesus. Matthew wants us to know that Jesus is the true king. Now, we kind of struggle with that word authority a little bit, don't we? I said, amen, okay, there we go. And it wasn't one of my kids. Right? Uh, authority. Uh, we've, we've seen it abused uh, in history. Uh, we've seen it abused in our politics today. We've experienced the misuse of authority at home, at work, at school. So when we hear that word authority, we maybe automatically assume that, some of us anyway, that authority is bad. That authority is to be rejected altogether. But Jesus is not that kind of authority. In fact, what we saw last week in the healing stories is that Jesus uses his power, his authority, with compassion. That he is the one who not only comes to defeat sin and Satan and death, but actually to heal all of the damage from sin and Satan and death. Uh, Today... We're going to see another aspect of Jesus's authority. Uh, We're going to see that just because Jesus is compassionate, that doesn't mean that he is soft. It doesn't mean that his uh, authority is undemanding. And so if you would, let's turn our attention to Matthew chapter 8, verses 18 through 27. If you don't have your own Bible, please grab the, the one that's in the chair there and turn to page 813. Let's give our attention to God's word. Now, when Jesus saw a crowd around him, he gave orders to go over to the other side. And the scribe came up and said to him, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes, and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Another of the disciples said to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, follow me and leave the dead to bury their own dead. And when he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea so that the boat was being swamped by the waves. But he was asleep. And they went and woke him saying, save us, Lord, we're perishing. And he said to them, why are you afraid? Are you of little faith? Then he rose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. And the men marveled, saying, What sort of man is this, that even winds and sea obey him? Amen. This is the word of the Lord. While all flesh is like grass and all its glory is like the flower of grass, the grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's pray and ask for his help in understanding it. Lord, would you help us to understand this may be a a familiar story, familiar stories to some of us and unfamiliar to others. But I pray that no one would leave this room unamazed by you. And I pray it in Jesus name. Amen. 
You may be familiar with the story of Rosaria Butterfield. Uh, she was a lesbian activist. She was a women's studies professor at Syracuse University. And uh, in her book, The Secret Thoughts of an Unlikely Convert, which is a very good book, very short book, very easy to read, uh, she tells the story of how she wanted to write a book on uh, the Christian right, so-called. And that writing project led her to a local pastor and his wife who invited her into their home for lots of dinner and discussion, which led to her reading the Bible. And as she read, she became convinced of the truth of the Bible and the truth of the claims of Jesus, that Jesus is in fact who he said he was. And that that demanded her loyalty, that she needed to follow him. And that also meant that following him meant that her entire life was wrecked. Her entire world was turned upside down. Everything about her life had to change. Her job as a feminist women's studies professor who specialized in queer theory her community, her friendships, even down to her loves and desires. The things that she thought made her, her. All of that had to change when Rosaria heard the call of Jesus to follow me. She understood that when Jesus says, follow me, that there's no middle ground. There's no halfway house. It's a total change of allegiance. And she would say that while it was the best thing that she ever did, it was also the hardest. And it didn't happen overnight. But it was a progressive change in her life as she began to follow Jesus. That's what Matthew is describing for us here. Matthew is telling us about discipleship, what following Jesus looks like. And he really gives it to us in, in two sections, two points. One, following Jesus demands complete loyalty. That's what we see in the first section. And then Matthew gives us an object lesson with the disciples in the boat that following Jesus is going to be hard, but he's the Lord, and he's going to take care of you. So following Jesus demands complete loyalty, and we might add, and that can be scary. But if he is the Lord, then he is going to take care of you. So let's look at those two things today. First, complete loyalty. Jesus is uh, preparing to cross over the Sea of Galilee. Um, so Capernaum was in the, the northwestern part. Forget my compass straight. Uh, the Sea of Galilee is like a great lake, right? It's not the ocean, but it's big. And they're going to cross over from northwest to southeast to an area called the Gadarenes. That's a long journey. Uh, and Jesus, as he's making his way, as he's going towards the boat, it would seem, uh, two different men approach him and offer or commit to follow him. And Matthew's focus really isn't on their response. That's not really what's important. 
What Matthew focuses on is Jesus' demand, how all-encompassing it is. And so there are two responses here. First, what what Jesus tells the first man, verses 19 and 20, is that loyalty to him takes priority over comfort and possessions. So this scribe approaches, verse 19, and says, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. That's a pretty that's a pretty big promise. Wherever you go, right? You're crossing the sea, I'll go. Right? Wherever you go, I'll go. And Jesus replies with something interesting. He says, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And we're going to talk about that phrase, Son of Man, later on when we get to Matthew 16, because there's a lot in there. But right now I want to focus on the other part of the answer. What is it that Jesus is saying? He's basically asking this man, are you sure about that? Have you, have you counted the cost of following me? Do you know wherever I go will, have a, will entail a cost for you? Now, Jesus wasn't technically homeless in the sense that, that we're used to. We know that he had a home base in the city of Capernaum. But having a home was secondary to Jesus' mission. Uh, The comfort of home was not his highest aim. And even more than comfort, especially in this part of the world and the people to whom Jesus was talking to, right, for us, maybe home represents comfort, um, and it certainly is that. But in the first century world, a home, a place, would have also represented security. You had a, a solid place with walls that you called your own. Jesus is saying, are you prepared to let go of that? Think about the things in your life that you hold on to with kind of a white knuckle grip. One of those certainly would be comfort and security, at least for me. And so what Jesus is saying to this man is, if you're going to hold on to me, it means you're going to have to loosen your grip on your stuff. You're going to have to loosen your grip on your possessions. You're going to have to sit loose to earthly comfort and security. He's not saying that those things, that having a home is wrong. Right? He's not telling all of us to go out right now and sell all of our homes and live in a tent. It's not what Jesus is saying. But he is saying that it shouldn't be the controlling priority in your life. It shouldn't be the first thing that you think about when you wake up in the morning or the last thing that you think about when you go to bed at night. Jesus is saying, I take priority over comfort and possessions and security. That's scary. But then Jesus takes it a step further. Because he always does. Another man comes up to him. This, this time, this is a disciple, so someone who had been following him already. And he says, Lord, let me go and, and bury my father. Now, Israel was a very family-centric culture. Your family obligations really trumped all of your obligations to anything else. In fact, uh, in Israel's law, if you're... Uh, father died, then you were excused 
even from religious obligations, even priests were allowed who, who normally were not allowed to uh, touch a dead body um, because that made them unclean, right? In the case of the death of a parent, they were allowed to do that. So, uh, so this represents one of the highest obligations in Israel in, in Israelite culture. Okay, now it's very possible that this man's father has not actually died yet. Um, if he had, then it's very unlikely that he would have been running up to Jesus at this point. Uh, this was a comment when he says, let, let me bury my father. This was actually a common way of saying, let me take care of my dad in his last years. Again, uh, it was the responsibility of the son to look after parents as they aged uh, and they moved towards death to make sure that all the bases were covered um, and to see to final arrangements. Uh, that would have been very normal, very uh, very typical obligation. Uh, so it's likely that this man is saying, I'll follow you, but I'm going to need a minute. I'll follow you, but I have some obligations uh, with the family that I need to meet first. But Jesus says, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. Now, I want you to feel the shock of those words. I mean, that would have been like a bucket of ice-cold water right in this man's face. That was, to say that, I mean, it's, it's borderline rude uh, to question what Jesus, to say what Jesus is saying. But he's saying, right, is, is Jesus saying that the family isn't important? Of course not. But he's saying that there are no higher obligations than following me. Even your family comes second to me. And when he says, let the dead bury their own dead, he's referring to those outside of the kingdom, those who do not have spiritual life. He says, let them worry about that. You follow me. Jesus takes priority even over family obligations he's not saying that you'll lose your house or your family but he is saying that we have to loosen our grip on those things to follow him which is scary loosen my grip on earthly security loosen my grip on the people who have been so important to me throughout my life that i'm obligated to and Jesus says, yes, absolutely. If you're going to follow me, then you have to renounce all other loyalties. But, that even though that is scary, if he's the Lord, then he will take care of you. And we see that in the very next story. I mean, if it weren't so terrifying, it would, all, it would almost be comical. Right? What did the disciples do? They follow Jesus into the boat. So they're doing what he told them to do. And where does that land them? In a huge storm. So following Jesus is not safe. Right? Following Jesus, as Rosaria Butterfield found out, as many of us have found out, following Jesus will turn everything upside down. It is not safe. In that sense. 
the Sea of Galilee sits 700 feet below sea level, and uh, there are cliffs that tower above it. And so that, I'm no, I'm no meteorologist, but when you have cold air up here and warm air down here, those two things don't g-haul, right? And so when cold winds would come down on the Sea of Galilee, it would whip up, and very quickly, a huge storm. That was not uncommon on the Sea of Galilee. And many of the men with whom Jesus is sailing in this boat are professional fishermen. So they would have seen a storm or two in their lifetime. Now the word that Matthew uses that uh, we translate a great storm says literally a great shaking. That's used in other places of an earthquake. So that just tells you how violent this storm was. And the, the waves are covering the boat. So you know that if professional fishermen are scared, it's a good idea to be scared, right? If a fireman's running away from a fire, there's probably not a fire you want to go towards, right? These men are terrified. They're worried about dying. And where's Jesus? He's asleep. Why is he asleep? Really easy answer. He's tired. Jesus is a man, right? And he has been healing people and teaching people. He's exhausted. So on this, you know, hour or so journey across the Great Lake of Galilee, he was hoping for a nap. He wanted to sleep, and he slept. There's another reason Jesus is asleep. He's not worried. They're terrified. He's not. Because he knows who he is. And so they run to Jesus and they wake him up. And look at what he says. He says, why are you so afraid? <laughs> I feel like probably a pretty good reason. The word there for afraid is timid, cowardly. He says, oh, you of little faith. Is Jesus being mean? Is he insulting them? I don't think so. When he says, oh, you have a little faith, I think what he is saying is that for all that the disciples have seen, they have not yet fully grasped who he is. They have seen him do some amazing things, but they, they don't quite get it yet. He's inviting them to a deeper understanding of who he is. And now for those prosperity teachers who would say, oh, man, if I just had more faith, God would work. Notice that the deficiency in their faith does not keep Jesus from working. That little faith they have in coming to get him because they're afraid they're going to die, that little faith is enough for him to work. And he does. He stands up, and he looks at the howling wind and the towering waves that are swamping the boat. And just like you would talk to a wild, unruly child, Jesus says, hush, stop. And what happens? The wind stops. The waves drop. Now, most of us have probably been to the ocean, 
And you may have seen the ocean even in a storm. And you probably have seen the ocean after a storm. It usually takes water a minute to calm down, right? Storms, storms take a second to blow themselves out. But not this storm. Jesus rebukes the storm and it stops automatically. Calm water, clear skies. And what's their response? Hopefully the same as you and me. They're shocked. Jaw dropped, utter amazement. They're amazed. And they say, what kind of man is this? That even wind and waves obey him. He's the kind of man who can tell a storm to stop, and it does. Which, by the way, in the ancient world was only something that God could do. In fact, repeatedly through the Psalms, we read one this morning. We read that that God alone is the Lord of the storm. In ancient Israel, the sea and its tumultuous waters represented utter chaos. Nobody contained uh, earlier this week, after youth group, I was talking with some of the students who had uh, been on a cruise, and they talked about being on this massive, massive boat. And even on the boat, you could feel it moving. So as impressive as our technology is, as impressive uh, things as we can build, they are still no match for creation. Only the creator can tell the creation what to do. And that's what happens right here. Following Jesus is going to be scary. Sometimes you will follow him right into a storm. And everything that you think you know is going to come undone. But he's the king. And he's going to take care of you. And I want my response to be theirs, what theirs is. I want to be more amazed by Jesus. Uh, Zach read earlier that call to repentance from Jeremiah 2. Why do we settle for broken cisterns? Because we're not amazed with Jesus. Why, why do I worship other gods? Because I am not yet sufficiently amazed by Jesus. The more amazed by Jesus you and I are, the more we will do battle, battle with sin, the more we will let go of our idols, the more we will worship him, the more we will trust him. I want to be amazed by Jesus. Following Jesus means complete loyalty to him. It means all my other loyalties have to go. But I'm going to be okay because he's the Lord of the storm. Not only that, but he, he isn't asking you to do anything that he has already done himself. The Lord Jesus gave up his home. He left his security and comfort. And he walked right in to the full storm of God's fury and wrath. So that you and I would be safe. 
so that you and I would not have to. That's why following Jesus is a win-win every time. Even if you lose everything else, do you believe it? Let's pray. Lord, I think of the words of the old hymn. Hast thou heard him, seen him, known him? Is not thine a captured heart? Chief among ten thousand own him. Joyful choose the better part. Captivated by his beauty, worthy tribute haste to bring. Crown him now unrivaled king. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would be the unrivaled king of our hearts. And that as we are more and more amazed by your glory, by your power, by your grace, that we would be renewed and transformed. That those besetting sins that we fight with would be put to death. That we would drink deeply of the living water and close the door on those broken cisterns. Oh, Lord Jesus, would you amaze us? And we pray it in your name. Amen. Let's stand.